Amen. And good morning and welcome to the jungle. <laughs> it is great to see you guys and great to see all the decorations. It's pretty cool in here. It's great to see the disco ball has made it back into a house of worship, right? I feel like we've really been missing that over the last few years. Um, but it's my pleasure to be with you this third Sunday and to dive into God's word together. You know, this morning, I want to start by asking you a question. When was the last time you took a risk in life? I don't mean like eating some old Chinese food or something like that. I mean like a real risk. When was the last time you did something risky? Was it this year? Was it last year? I know for me, I kind of think back to last month. Last month, we took a few of our seniors out to Catalina to celebrate their graduating from high school. And uh, Dylan and I took these, these kids out there, and we had a bunch of events planned for them. And one of the events planned for these guys was taking them parasailing. I don't know if you've ever been parasailing or seen that before, but that's where they strap you into a parachute and then they drag you out behind a boat. You go way up high in the air there. And that's not necessarily my type of activity. I'm not really this risky, adventurous roller coaster ride taker. I don't skydive. I don't do stuff like that. And so I had planned on going along and being kind of just the photographer, the chaperone, the guy who had to sign all their waivers in case they died. And... Um, <laughs> And I get on the boat with all the guys, and the first thing they ask is, hey, Justin, are you going parasailing with us? And I go, you know, I'm not going to tell them I'm afraid. I'm just, I go, no, guys, I'm, I'm just here to chaperone. I'm, I'm getting older. I, I don't need to do, this is your guys' thing. And they go, older? You're like 40, Justin. Come on. And, and they just kept going and kept going, and finally they got Dylan and I strapped into this parachute. And I wasn't too happy about it, but I was like, okay, peer pressure one. It's usually the high schoolers that are supposed to be peer pressured into things, but now they're peer pressuring me into things. And here I go, I'm, I'm taken off on this thing. And I remember looking down and at first it was pretty cool. Have you ever done that? You ever been in those situations? You get a little bit of this perspective and you begin to see Catalina Island and uh, we look out over LA, which wasn't great, but you could see Orange County, which was nice. And uh, at first, I remember looking down, I could hear the music from the boat, I could hear all the kids laughing, and I was like, this is great. And the immediate thought I had in my head was, if I fell from here, I wouldn't die. This is pretty cool. But it kept going, and going, and going, and they keep letting us out further and further. I think we paid for like the highest package you could get when, when Dylan and I went on this thing. And, and there came a certain point where I go, okay, this is getting a little scary. I'm holding into these rickety straps they put me in here with. Um, there's just two buckles here. And if I fell from here, I'd break a leg for sure. This isn't very good. And I see these dark spots in the water. I go, those could be sharks. And then I'm dead. But then they kept letting me go further and further and further. And I could, you could hardly, the boat is now a speck below you. And you're up so high, and I, I look at Dylan, and I went to look at Dylan and go, Dylan, we would die from here. But as soon as I looked over at Dylan, he, was, he had started right next to me. We were both strapped into this thing. He had started slipping through the straps and was like halfway down at my waist. Now, he wasn't about to fall out, but he was like holding on for dear life. The straps were over his head. And I now go, okay, if Dylan can fall out, I could probably fall out too. They didn't even check my weight before I got on this thing. And I'm, I suddenly became aware of every little pop and ping. It's like, bring, bring. And I'm like, how much do these guys, I mean, they just drive a boat with a parachute behind it for a living. How qualified are they? It was like every horrible thought popped into my mind. And so the rest of my time was spent just like floating around, holding on for dear life. And I finally get down, and they pull us back onto the boat, and we get out, and all the kids go, how was it? And I go, oh, man, it was so amazing, you guys. You guys are going to love it. It was just awesome. It was so perfect. And, and so they all got on and had a great time. But I, I kind of think of risk, and I think of risk a little bit like that. 
you don't always know when you take a risk what you're getting into. Risk involves getting out of your comfort zone. Risk, at the end of the day, kind of involves some danger in your life. I mean, if you think about risk, it's why we spend so much of our lives trying to avoid it, right? Don't we make up the craziest laws so that people avoid risk? I mean, you can't even think of all the things we do to avoid risk. Nowadays, I found out my kids can't even run on the blacktop at school anymore because they might fall. And it's like, if you're the only person on the road, you can't speed, it's still, it's risky, you can't do that. And it's like, most of our lives, if we think about it, are spent avoiding risk. But if you also think about it, aren't some of the greatest moments and events and decisions in your life, don't they involve risk? I mean, it's said by, by one person that nothing great has ever happened in this world without risk being involved. Right? You probably see when you think of your life, whether it was a new job you took or a career you switched, maybe it was a getting married or, or a relationship you were in, or kids, when you have kids, it's like whether it's the job or moving or relationships, everything involves some form of risk if it's going to be worth it. And I bring that up because as important as risk is as a general idea in life, it is vital to our faith as well. And this morning, as we continue on in our Hebrews chapter 11 series called Our Journey of Faith, as we look at different aspects of our faith, we're going to see this morning how risk is an important aspect of our faith as well. And uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to open up, Hebrews chapter 11, of course, where we are, we're in a series and in a chapter of the Bible where essentially the Apostle Paul has been laying out different examples and a definition of faith. That are, meant to, that are meant to encourage us, that are meant to illustrate what faith looks like in different aspects of our life, and different parts of our life. And now he gets to a, a, a key character in verse 23, perhaps one of the greatest characters in the Bible, Moses. And Moses, is a, he's a real familiar character for all of us, right? One of the greatest leaders in all of history. I mean, most famous for the fact that he led over a million plus people, almost up to two million people, out of slavery into or, or, or through 40 years of wandering in the desert to the edge of the promised land. And it's like Moses had some great moments with God. Moses had some great moments of faith. There was moments where Moses over, where the nation of Israel, through Moses, overcame crazy battles there was moments where Moses was involved with huge miracles. But as the Bible kind of looks at him here, it goes back to the early stages of Moses' life and says, look, there's a few important events and decisions that went on in Moses' life that involved risk that developed and shaped him into the leader that God wanted him to be. And so it kind of puts those together in that perspective. And we're going to look at different aspects of Moses' life here and, and the risks that were involved in those stages of his life. And so um, we'll take these a few at a time. Look at verse 23 with me. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. I love that. Before it even gets into Moses' life, it says, look, understand that faith was involved for Moses to even exist. It says, by faith, Moses' parents, it was Amram and Jochebed. Amram and Jochebed made a decision against the king of Egypt's law or, or, or commandment, if you would. If you remember back to Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2, it was a pretty dark time in Israel. 
right? A pharaoh, a king had arisen in Egypt that had forgotten about Joseph and all his, all his deeds that he had done for, for the pharaoh in his days and, and had brought the, the children of Israel into slavery. And they had been slaves and they were becoming a pretty great nation. They were multiplying and growing stronger. And the pharaoh looked at the, the Israelites and he said, look, this is not good. If they decide, if things keep going this way, if they decide, they can take us out. They're growing more numerous than us. And so he makes this command, this cree, that if an Israelite gave birth and the child was a male, then it would be killed by being thrown into the river. Brutal law, right? If you have a boy child, he's going to die. I mean, we complain about having to wear masks, but I mean, this was, this was something real, like, into this environment, Amram and Jochebed have their child. And they say, it says that he was a beautiful child, right? And, and it's not just like, it's not, not like every parent like me. I look at my kids and I go, I have the most beautiful kids in the world, right? We have this romanticized view of our children. It wasn't just to say, hey, look, this is like a little Brad Pitt here. He's going to grow up and be a model. It was, no, no. Stephen puts it this way. He was, um, over in Acts chapter 7, when he refers to this, it says he was, a well, he was well pleasing to God. It was like they looked at this child and they saw, look, there's something beautiful, there's something special, there's something that, I mean, this, this, this is a gift. This is something that God is working through right here. And when they saw that child, they had to make a decision. Look, we can toss this baby into the river, get some better sleep over the next few months, or, man, this is from God. This, this is... I, I, this is going to be a risk here. We're going to hold on to him, and we're going to have to dodge all, the, all, all, the, all the, the troops and the soldiers looking for us. It's like we're going to have to keep him quiet. And they had this really, really tough decision to make, a, a risky, almost impossible decision, right? Either way, death was involved. It's either, hey, we, we throw our, our child into the river, or we ourselves risk death for ourselves. Because if this is found out, if the king or the pharaoh finds out that we're hiding babies from him, the first thing he's going to do is wipe out not just us, but our whole family. So what do we do here? Do we take the lesser of two evils? Do we, do we just throw the baby into the river? Everyone else is doing it. This is what all the other families are having to do, and it's horrible. And, but at the same time, why risk our own lives? We, we've got a daughter here, we find out. They have Miriam. Why risk our daughter Miriam? If we, if we do this, she could die too. It's like there is a lot on the line in this decision. But what I love about what Hebrews chapter 11 says, if you look at verse 23 at the very end there, it says, and they were not afraid of the king's command. That's interesting, right? I love the way it reads. If you were in that Hebrew audience and you were listening to this, it would have, said, it would have sounded like they did not begin to fear the command of the king. Because that word of being not afraid is aggressive. It means something came into being. They, they were not allowing fear to come into existence, if you would. They didn't even allow themselves to become afraid of what the king was commanding them to do. Right? It's like this idea of an impossible situation, and they're having to make a decision. And they said, look, look, the only way we can make this decision right, with what God might be calling us to do, is to say, look, I'm not going to allow fear to take over the decision I'm about to make. I have to learn to take fear out of this decision. Fear, at the end of the day, says, look, follow the rules. Fear says, do what other people are doing. Don't stand out. Don't put yourself in danger. 
Fear says, don't take that risk because things could get worse. Right? And it's this anxiety that kind of grows in all of us because risk means we're essentially letting a decision go out of our hands. Right? We lose control. And fear says, no, no, no. Do what you can control. Hold on. At the end of the day, fear will almost always drive me away from a risk that God wants me to take. Now, it's not to say that fear isn't healthy for us in most parts of our life, right? Fear is what keeps you from ending up on the Darwin Awards, right? From doing something stupid in life and dying in a dumb way. You know, checking your cell phone and walking into traffic on Moulton Parkway, right? Fear is healthy. It keeps you from walking on the freeway and, and, and playing a sport. It's like fear keeps us from doing some dumb things. But at the same time, that very same fear, well, it can keep us from experiencing some of the greatest moments of our lives, making the decisions that God wants us to make, right? How many times do you find yourself in life looking back and saying things like, oh, I wish I'd tried that? Or, oh, man, I wish, if I had known what I know now, I would have done that. Or I would have done something more if I I wasn't afraid, right? Because fear, it stifles our thinking and our actions. Fear looks at an outcome and says, look, hey, take the easier of two paths, this can end bad if you go this way, so, so don't take the possibility. Fear takes our eyes off of what good can come and only focuses on the problems. The problem is, and you kind of have to understand this as we talk about this as a whole and to making decisions and fear and risk, it's like the problem is, is that God doesn't view risk that way at all. I mean, right from our perspective as humans, most of what God does is completely risky. And almost crazy. Right? Think about it from a, I mean, think about just the examples he's given us in Hebrews chapter 11 of some of the things he's asked people to do, right? Abraham, leave everything you know and leave your family and go off to a city, and I'm not going to tell you where it is, but you'll find it when, I, when you get there. Or Noah, how about you build an ark and spend a good part of your life building this ark and preaching to people, and, and it's for a flood, which has never happened before, which people don't understand or know. Or how about we just studied the life of David? Think of just David, how, how God spends a good portion of his life sending him into the wilderness to run and to hide from the king of Israel, Saul, who wanted to take his life and kill him. I mean, on into the New Testament where the apostle Paul is beaten. He's, he's beaten nearly to death multiple times. He's thrown in prison. And it's like, God makes risk appear in almost all these. Think about the very nature of the salvation, that the, the culmination of the salvation story where Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, came to earth and died for us. Death is risky. Death is the great unknown, the great question mark. And then on top of that, think about this. He handed off his church, the thing he was building, to a bunch of disciples who were like college-age young adult guys who had no idea. They weren't theologians. They They were fishermen, and one was a tax collector. It was like, that's a risk. But most of what God does appears risky because from our perspective, we don't see things from the beginning to the end. But the very nature of God, and you have to understand this if you come in here and you're, you're believing in the God of the Bible here, the very nature of God is that he knows all things. He's what we call omniscient, right? It, it, as Psalm 147 says, his understanding is beyond measure. He sees things from beginning to end. He knows the way things are going to turn out. And when God, from his perspective, calls us, an omniscient God who knows all things, calls us to do things, he knows how it's going to end up. 
He's not afraid like we are. He's not worried. He's not going, oh man, I'm in the dark here. I wonder if I call Justin to go out and to do this, to make that move, to make that change in his life. I wonder if it's going to work out. No, God goes, look, I hope Justin's going to follow me because I know where I'm leading him. I know what I'm putting him up to. I know what's around the corner. But from our perspective, we're like, oh no, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's worth this. I don't know if it's worth that. And God says, look, understand this. Like Amram and Jochebed who looked at what they had gotten from God. Look, if you're trusting in me, I'm not afraid here. You don't have to worry. You can trust that I'm there when I'm leading you to make a decision. When I've put this thing before you, you can trust me. Believe me, I'm not freaked out like you are. Don't let fear keep you from following me. Don't avoid me, if you would, because you're scared. And we see with Amram and Jochebed, as the start of Moses' life goes off here, they made that decision to hold on to Moses. He might say, well, it didn't work out very well. After three months, they had to throw him in the river anyways. Right? Some great parents they were. It's like, no, they held on to him as long as they possibly could. And at a certain point, they were like, you know what, in Exodus chapter 2, we can't hide this crying baby anymore. And so, for the sake of probably other people, they had to throw this baby into the river. They made this little ark of, of reeds, and you know the story. They put the baby into the river, and he floats down the river. But God was like, I got this. You guys took that risk. Don't worry. And as Miriam followed the baby, we, we find out in the story that the Pharaoh's daughter happened to be bathing, and, and this baby you know, floats right up into her area there, and she goes, hey, look, a Hebrew baby. I'm going to raise him as my own. And Miriam, Moses' older sister, happens to go, hey, look, I know a particular Hebrew midwife that can help out with this child, help nurse him and help him grow, referring back to Moses' mother. And so Moses' mother got to wean the child, got to bring him up and to a certain age where then he grew up, away from the poverty, away from the slavery, and the household of the Pharaoh as being one of the Pharaoh's sons. And it kind of leads us to what happens next in Moses' story. Look over with me at verses 24 through 27. In verse 24, it says this, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Sorry, real quick. I love this. As it goes on, it looks at the next stage of kind of Moses' growth and development here. It says at a certain point, Moses had to make a decision. You see, all of the riches and spoils of Egypt belonged to him. He was, perhaps, some some scholars say, perhaps he was going to one day be the next king, the next pharaoh. They don't know. But he was uh, living in the lap of luxury for sure. Right? Growing up in luxury, having anything he wanted at any moment, at any time, he wasn't acquainted with all the the pain and suffering of the Hebrew people that, that he was born into. It's like, no, Moses grew up in a very, very special, privileged, elite environment. Having anything he wanted at any moment, but... There came a certain point, we're told, that somewhere in the midst of all that, uh, somewhere along the lines, he made a choice to disassociate himself from all of that. 
You read the story over in Exodus, and, and, and Stephen kind of brings us up. It says when he was about 40 years old or so in Acts chapter 7. But over in Exodus chapter 2, it says that one day Moses decided to go out and to look upon the suffering of the, of the Israelites. And he's looking out at all the Hebrews, and he's seeing what they're going through, and there's something that just strikes him like, man, this isn't right. These are my people. He had this knowledge that this is, this is who he is, where his roots are. And he's looking at this, and he suddenly sees this dispute. This Egyptian slave master is beating an Israelite servant. And Moses, in a, in a momentary decision, a momentary rush, decides to go in and break this thing up, ends up getting in a fight with the Egyptian slave master, and ends up killing him. He buries him and thinks, okay, look, this is gone. This Egyptian slave master is gone. This situation has gone. And we're told he comes out the next day. And he sees some Israelite brethren arguing with each other. And he goes out and he goes, hey guys, don't argue. Knock it off. Stop it. And they look at him and they go, hey Moses, who are you over us? A prince or a judge? What are you going to do to us, what you did to that Egyptian slave master? And in that moment, we're told, Moses became fearful. He was like, oh no, the secret's out. It's made its way through. It eventually makes its way to the Pharaoh this, that, that Moses took care of, this Egyptian slave master. And the Pharaoh says, look, Moses, you're going to die. I'm going to take care of you. It's over. It's done for you. And as he, as he enters this stage, it's like he's, he's like, at first he's fearful because of what he's done. But we're told that he then decides to go and to, to flee to Midian. He just says, no, I'm going to take off. And while Exodus chapter 2 puts it this way, Moses fled, Israel, fled Egypt, over here in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Moses decided to esteem the, what it says in verse 27, or um, I'm sorry, verse 26, esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. It's like he made this choice. He said, look, I might have made a momentary decision to step in and interrupt this dispute. It might have gotten out of hand, but I know what I did was right. I know that stepping in to defend the weaker Hebrew that was being abused, I know that stepping in to defend my brethren, I know that that was right. Of course, Moses could have probably done what every politician does, right? Cover up you know, create some other scandal over here so you don't pay attention to the scandal over here. Moses had power. He could have done that type of thing. He could have gotten himself out of this situation. He could have gone back to Pharaoh and been like, look, man, you don't understand. Hey, we'll take care of it by, by, by killing these people over here and covering up. He could have done that type of thing, but we're told that Moses goes, you know what? I made a decision, and maybe it was momentary. Maybe you've made those decisions in life too, right? You didn't know what you are getting into. But Moses goes, look... I have a choice here. I can either try to control all this, to cover this up, to stay here and to make it work out. I can hold on to my image. I can hold on to my riches. I can hold on to the spoils that I have in life. Or I can let it go because I know the decision I made was right. I know that associating, and when it says esteeming the reproach of Christ, it doesn't mean that he looked down the line and was like, you know what, Jesus would have, made, would have wanted me to do this. He was rejected, so I'm going to be rejected too. It wasn't that type of idea. It was like, you know what, I'm going to choose to be rejected like God's people are kind of being rejected here. Because to be a part of God's story and to do what God wants me to do is better 
and all the comforts, all the riches, all the image, and all the, 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 the luxuries I would have had otherwise. And so he goes on the run, right? And in this point, I, I think it's important that you notice that faith, in the end, doesn't seek comfort, right? Sometimes in life, we just want, uh, we want everything to go the way we want, we want every decision that God puts before us. If, if we're going to risk something, we're like, hey, look, I'll risk, but, but not if it costs me something comfortable in my life. Not if it costs me money. Not if it costs me this. Not if it costs me that. But, but in the end, we see with risk and faith, it's like faith does not seek comfort. Right? I know we want to know what's, what's going to happen in our lives. I know we want to know what decisions are worth it or not. If I get married or if I do this, if I do that, is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be easy or is it going to be hard, God? Right? And it's often this type of risk that keeps people making some of the, the greatest decisions that God wants them to make in their life. I know for me, I think of this just, just about a year ago. My, my family, we kind, of, we kind of wrestled with this idea. We ended up buying our first home about a year ago. And for, for people in my stage of life, buying a home is really, really hard. It was right before the economy started really tanking. And so, you know, homes were at all-time high values. And we had tried, and my, my wife and I, we had tried to make offers on homes and offers over here. But every time we got outbid by people by like 20 to 25% over asking price on the homes. It was like crazy. It was crazy how expensive everything was. And we were like, we came to this point where we go, look... We've got an okay deal on rent. We're kind of comfortable here. We've got some extra money to go on vacations and do this kind of stuff. We'll just rent and kind of have that risk of moving around and doing all that. That's okay. And it was right when we became comfortable with that that God kind of brought along someone who, who called me one day, an old friend of mine who's a realtor, and he said, hey, I've got a crazy deal on a house for you. I mean, look, it's, you're going to get it so far under market price. Like, it is crazy, except the only thing is, is this is an old, old house that's a fixer-upper. Like a crazy fixer-upper. Like you're going to have to evict rats and do all that kind of stuff when you take over this house. And it was true because we went to look at it and I thought, oh, you know, he's just exaggerating, you know. And, and I went and looked at this house and I was like, oh my goodness. There was mold and the ceilings, the pipes and plumbing didn't work. He couldn't flush toilets. Like it was really bad. It was gross, carpet from the 60s, oil, and just, just the grossest stains. And, and my wife was like, oh, no. You know, like, you can't do this. You're a pastor, Justin. You are not Chip Gaines, you know, on TV working for Fixer Upper. Like, this is not your profession, you know. And I go, I could do that, you know. I could, I could take out that carpet, and I could fix those pipes. And, and so we had to have this serious sit-down conversation where, and maybe you've had this kind of point where you've had to make a decision in life before, with you, too where we had to sit down and we had to say, look, here's the options on the table. We've been praying for a long time to be able to get into a house. We just, we're just not financially able to until this pops up where we can. But it's going to require us to step outside of our comfort zone. We're over here and we've got some cushion. We've got this nice kind of spot in life. But do we really want to take this opportunity that God's put before us? The biggest problem is, is we're going to be uncomfortable for a few years. While we pay off all the things that we have to fix up, while, I mean, we didn't even know it, but the heater didn't work when we moved in. It was a pretty cold winter, you know, and, and, and the, the pool leaks and all this, that, and the other. It's, it's like, we're like, we're going to have a really tough time. So do we give up comfort? Do we give up what we know and what's easy for us to take a risk over here? 
And we prayed and we prayed and we couldn't get it out of our head. And we're like, you know what? I think God wants us to take this risk. And so we've taken it. And it has been everything we feared and more. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it tends to work out that way sometimes. But at the same time, what it's forced us to do, that comfort didn't force us to do, is to walk by faith. To trust God. To say, look, God, I don't know how we're going to fix this, but God does. I don't know how we're going to work that out. And he sent people along that have helped us out and blessed us so much along the way. It's like, it's crazy how God has worked things out. And it's, it's not the greatest house on the block, but man, we're a lot further along. But it's that way with comfort, right? If you really think about it. Isn't it true that nothing great ever comes or happens when we're in our comfort zones? Think of some of the greatest things that happen in your life. It causes you to move outside your comfort zones. Think about Moses. If he just thought of his safety and his comfort, he would have never made that decision to stand up and defend his brother. He would have worried about his health and his well-being, his security, his image and his future. He would have never ultimately returned from the wilderness to step before the Pharaoh and say, look, let my people go. Look, our comfort zone is a great place to, to rest if you never want to grow or change. If you're just content with letting, watching life pass you by, stay in your comfort zone. Stay where everything is just the way you want it. But the moment you really want to see change in your life, you're going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to make a decision where risk is involved and God says, look, don't let the fear of being comfort comfortable Keep you from taking a new risk. Keep you from stepping out and sharing with your neighbor. Oh, what happens if I share with them and they think I'm stupid? What happens if I don't have the right words to say? What happens if I do this and people look at me weird? What happens if I step up and work or in the workplace and I say, look, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do what's wrong. I'm not going to take those shortcuts or, or, or cheat things like these other people. Look, you risk something, right? You might be the outcast. You might be laughed at. You might not get that promotion. But God says, look, trust me. In the end, if I bring you to make a decision, if I bring something before you where there's risk involved, don't let comfort keep you out of making that decision. Because in the end, you're going to regret the risks you don't take. Because risk is not about comfort or safety. And we go on here. One final little point here in verses 28 and 29 before we wrap it up. It says this, by faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. As he wraps up his little short vignette on Moses' life here, he looks at the very end of kind of that, that period before they were in the wilderness wandering, and he says, Look, I want you to look at two events that ended up working out because Moses was willing and the Israelites ultimately were willing to take a step of faith. And he pairs them together here. It's like the first was, by faith he kept the Passover. Now if you think about the Passover, if you know anything about the Passover, the Passover was coincided with the last of the ten plagues. Right? Up until now, Moses had been in Egypt. He had returned to Egypt, and he was standing before Pharaoh on, under the charge from God saying, you know, hey, I want you to take my people out of Egypt for a short time to go out and to worship me and to have a feast for me and then to come back. And that was the original premise. And so Moses went to Pharaoh with Aaron and Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, look, let, let God's people go to do this. 
And Pharaoh, of course, says no. And we know the, the subsequent plagues that went out. You've got rivers of blood. You've got frogs. You've got flies. You've got dying livestock. You've got um, the sun and moon. You've got locusts or the, the darkness over the land. And up until now, up until the Passover, nine out of ten, or nine for nine, essentially, of the things that Moses had done had only served to make the Pharaoh's heart even harder. And if you're thinking about things, nine things is kind of a lot. Nine miraculous, you know, crazy signs that God has shown this Pharaoh. And he's only getting harder of heart. As a matter of fact, after the ninth thing, which was darkness, he said, look, Moses, if I see you again, you're dead. Now you're done. Any more of these things, I see you, Moses, you're dead. And not only that, but we find out it got harder and harder along the way for the Israelites because the Pharaoh was like, man, we're going to take away some of their materials. We're going to make them work longer hours. It was like, it was not easy for these guys. So when you get to the Passover, you get to kind of this point of desperation. You get to this point where they're probably thinking, I don't know, is this stuff really working? You've done nine things so far. And now, if you know what the Passover was, now you're telling me that at midnight coming is the angel of the Lord. And Moses told the Israelites, look, you're to sacrifice a lamb. You're to kill a lamb, and you're to take the blood from the lamb, and you're to spread it across the doorposts and the lintel of your house. And when the angel of the Lord passes over at midnight, he's going to see that blood, and he's going to pass you by, pass over. But for those Egyptians who don't have that blood covering their home, their firstborn child is going to die. It's like, whoa, Moses. Things are already bad enough. Now you're going to start killing Egyptians? Like, are, are you sure we should go through with this? This doesn't make sense. And Moses goes, look, the Passover also says at midnight, you're going to be ready. And you're going to eat your feast. You're going to eat the rest of that lamb. You're going to burn, and you're going to have this unleavened bread. Don't even put leaven in your bread because we're moving quick. Have your sandals on, have your belts on, and be ready to go. Because as soon as this happens, we're going to be out of here. Now, if I'm an Israelite, I'm probably sitting there thinking, or if I'm Moses, I'm probably sitting there thinking, man, this is the big one. Are you sure we should do this? Like, God, I've been trying stuff, and it hasn't been working out. It seems like this guy's getting even more angry. Now, if I do one more thing, he's going to kill me. It's like, God, our backs are against the wall here, and you want us to do an even bigger, now we've got to participate in this. You want us to do a bigger thing than before? But this is an important aspect of faith. This is this aspect of faith that says, look, even though I don't understand fully what God is doing here, I don't understand this, I'm still going to take that step to worship you, Lord, to keep the Passover, to take that step forward and, and obey you, Lord, when you tell me to do something. You see, it'd be so easy for them, and you follow this on to the Red Sea where, where God had led them out of Egypt, right? The Passover happened to, to work. Pharaoh woke up the next morning, his child was dead, and he's like, you know what, get out of here, I don't want to see you guys again. And, and the Israelites leave, and they're now, they're now beginning their journey in the wilderness, and, and God leads them to the certain point where in Exodus chapter 14, he says to Moses, he says, I want you to go here, here, and here, and you're going to get trapped in by the land. It's like, wait, God, What? You want me to go lead our Israelite family and their you know, people into a dead end where there's no way out? He goes, yeah, perfect. That's the route I want you to take. And the Pharaoh will see me and he will know that I am Lord. It's like he says to him, look, 
I want you to do something stupid. You're going to lead people into this dead-end peninsula where the, the water is ahead of you and the land is trapping you in behind. Pharaoh hears about this and he goes, man, I'm taking them back. These guys are idiots. They're out there trapping themselves in, in the wilderness. They're lost. They don't know what they're doing. I'm taking these people back. They can't harm me. You know, they can't even get from A to B. I'm going after them. So he heads after them and God holds them back. And we're told that the Israelites follow Moses. Moses leads them there. And it says that as he gets there, God tells him to raise his hands and his staff, and he does at the edge of the Red Sea. And an east wind comes down, and you guys know it. It parts the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk through on dry land. And God relents the the pillar of fire and the cloud that was holding back the Egyptian army, and they try to follow them into there, and God lets the water wash in, and he washes away that Egyptian army. What a crazy, miraculous event, right? What a dangerous, risky thing for them to do. But just like with the Passover, they got into this point where it's like, hey, look, I don't understand. I don't fully get why God's blocking us in here, why it seems like I have no options, why it seems like I don't even know that we have a decision to make. But the only thing they could do was to take that one step forward and obey God. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They couldn't work out why things hadn't worked at nine out of those ten plagues that God had done. They couldn't understand why they were being led to this dead-end cul-de-sac. It was like God didn't tell them all that beforehand. He just said, look, I want you to follow me, and it's going to seem like you don't have very many options, but will you continue? Even when you don't have many options, even when you don't know what to do, will you continue to take that one step forward? I know it's risky. Will you continue to hold on to me? I know it always doesn't make sense. Will you continue to worship me? I know you're not free from the land yet, but will you have this feast? Became one of the greatest moments of worship in their their calendar. Became the the New Year Day for them. And this, as as we kind of wrap it all up here, this is ultimately when we look at the faith of Moses, what is being said about his faith is, You can't miss the fact that taking a risk was such a huge part of what made it so commendable. Of what ultimately made him a great leader, because leaders have to make decisions. And God looked at Moses and said, look, you were willing to take that step. You were willing to set aside comfort. You were willing to, well, your parents were willing to not be afraid. Look, the life of Moses wasn't spent looking for risks to take. That's not the point here. It's not that faith looks for risks, right? You shouldn't be out of boredom looking at what stupid thing can I get into to test God or to prove God's amazing or great. It's like, that's not the aspect of risk we're talking about here. But the the important thing to note about Moses' life is Moses' life did not avoid risk, right? Faith in the end will at one point or another, following God will require risk in our lives. It will require us to make a decision that says, look, I know I'm afraid, I know I have reasons I shouldn't do this. I know that this doesn't always make sense, but God is leading me and calling me here. Will I take that step forward? If all of my life is spent avoiding that, then I'm not following God at all. You won't ever walk by faith if you try to eliminate risk from whatever God is calling you to do. Right? And as you, you look at your life, I mean, the old quote is so true, right? 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the things you did. 
And it's so true for our lives. As we look at it, it's like the risks we didn't take are the ones we look back on and go, man, I wish I had trusted you, God. And, and faith, a type of faith where from our perspective, everything's under control, everything's easy, everything's comfortable, well, that's not faith at all, is it? Right, I, I mean, it's, it's what we want, right? It's when we pray, we're like, God, take away this problem. God, make everyone treat me nicely. God, make everything work out the way I want it to work out. Help us to keep this. Help us to have that in our life. And we, we kind of look at God and we go, look, God, I want you to do things my way because that's honestly the least risky way. But what if we looked at God when we prayed and we said, Lord, hey, I'm afraid of a lot. Help me in all my fears to just do whatever you want. Help me, Lord, as I look at my life and I look at the things that make me comfortable that make me feel like I'm in this safe place in life, help me to at least sometimes say, God, you know what? What do you want to do that brings me out of my comfort zone? Or, hey, Lord, my back's against the wall. I've tried things. I don't know what to do, Lord. Help me to just keep following you and to take that step, even though I want to go back. Help me to keep looking to you. I mean, that was ultimately looking to God was was one of the keys of Moses' faith here. It says in verse 27 at the end, for Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses was able to go through these events, make these decisions, take that risk, because when he did it, he said, you know what? I know that God is here with me. And I see him working. Moses' parents, Amran and Jochebed, they look down at that blessing and they go, look, I know that God is here because of this blessing. I know that God is working so I can trust him. And I can take this risk. I know Moses would say that that I'm doing the right thing and standing up and defending my Hebrew brethren. So I can step up and I can say no to Egypt. And I know that God has led us here nine times out of, even though, even though they might not have worked on the Pharaoh to let us go nine out of the plagues, I know that this 10th one, I know that whatever God brings along in the future, God is still working. And when we take that step and we're willing to say, you know what, I see that I can take this risk because God is with me. Because God is here and guiding me. We suddenly, I mean, things aren't so risky at all. Right? Fear and risk and comfort, they don't become factors at all in our lives. I mean, ultimately, as we look at Moses and we look at this risk, if we're willing to take that risk and we see God, it's not really a risk at all. The greatest risk in life is us not taking a risk at all. The greatest risk for Moses' parents Were them not taking that risk, Moses would have never been a part of this story. The greatest risk for Moses would have been holding on to that comfort and not letting God to move him along. The greatest risk for the Israelites and for Moses at the end there would have been to say, you know what, things aren't quite working out right. We don't want to keep going forward this way. But risk and faith says, look, I'm not going to let these things be a factor. I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to say, God, I see you first. Before I see the problems, before I see the comforts, before I see all the things and reasons why I couldn't do something. When my eyes are on that, man, there's no risk I'm not willing to take. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so very much that from our perspective, it looks like a lot of what you're doing is risky, but Lord, you are a God who's so sure, who's so confident, 
who's so in control, Lord, that we can come to you and we can know that no matter what we're facing in life, no matter what decisions we have to make, that you see the beginning from the end. You're with us in all things. Help us, Lord, to be open to the risks you want us to take. To not foolishly chase after things that that you don't want us to do. Speak to us clearly, Lord, but in the areas of our lives where you've put things before us where there is risk and we're afraid, maybe we don't want to be comfortable, maybe we're worried or anxious about things, Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to not be afraid and to see you over the problems around us. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you that we have this sure hope in Jesus Christ who loves us and took a risk on every single one of us and died for us on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen.